Good morning, friends. Would you please stand up? It's a great day for us to encounter the presence of God today. The Lord is for us, and he is with us here this morning. So with all your hearts, let's sing together. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign we are here for. Let your breath, let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. Yes, we've got, we are here for you.
church family, just here in this moment, could you lift up your hands and allow the word of God to be spoken over you in this moment. Receive healing in this moment. Receive peace of mind. Receive freedom. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 36. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains and your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Zephaniah 3.17 the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God. Because you're the name above all. You are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. Cause you're the name.
to take an opportunity to partner with the Spirit on this song. We still have more of our worship set left, and I want to make sure we get into it. But I just, I can't listen and hear and worship to the Spirit of this song without responding. And I want to give us an opportunity to lean in. In fact, Matthias, if you could help me here, I want to put John chapter 7 verse 37 through 39 on the screen, John 7, 37 through 39. We're walking through the gospel of John together as a family of believers here the past several weeks. And in John chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus shows himself and he comes to one of the festivals. We'll pull it up here in a moment. Um, I'm gonna fast forward actually, there it is right there. So on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone who is thirsty, spiritually speaking, anyone who is unsatisfied with what the world has to offer, anyone who is unfulfilled, you've tasted everything that this world has to give from relationships to wealth, to position, to power, and you realize that there is still this deep ache and this deep longing in your spirit. And Jesus is essentially saying then, and he's saying it now, that the only thing that will truly satisfy the deepest longings of your very existence is intimate relationship with him in the presence of the Holy Spirit within your life. Then he says in verse 38, he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, watch this, rivers of living water will flow will flow. Rivers of living water will flow within them. Verse 39, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Do you know that the moment that you believed in the person of Jesus, the moment you believed in his saving work on the cross, and in that very moment, God deposited himself within you, This is what the scripture says, that the very moment that you said, God, I believe, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you have mercy on me? I believe your son not only died for me, but he rose again from the dead. In that very moment, something was imparted into you. And this is what the gospel of John says it is. It says it's rivers of living water. Guys, life in God is dynamic. Life in God is alive. Life in God is wild. Life in God is not a tepid pond. It's not just a well. Life in God is a raging, flowing, powerful, life-giving river that is to well up within us, but then is to also flow through us to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our communities, to our places of vocation, to our schools. And so here's what I want to do in the spirit of this song. I want to ask the Holy Spirit, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to place my hand right here on my belly because this is what the scripture says, that from your belly, like within your spirit, rivers of living water would flow. Would you just do that with me? And would you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again? In your own way, in your own language, with your own sincerity. Oh God, would you fill us again today with the Holy Spirit? Lord, I pray right now that if anything has blocked up the flow of your river flowing in our lives and flowing through our lives, God, would you, would you remove anything and everything that is obstructing that river of God from welling up within us and flowing in us and flowing through us? 
God, I pray that your river would remove bitterness, that the river of your spirit would remove, Lord, even mental, mental hurdles, God, that we've built up that have kept us from receiving the life of the river of God. Holy Spirit of the living God, come. We welcome you. We need you. We need you. We need you. Rivers of God, we pray that you would flow into our families, flow over our children, God, come into their bedrooms, Come into the music that they listen to. Come, God. I pray for the river of God to wash over our children's desires and over their affections and over their friendships. River of God, we pray that you would flow in the schools of our city. River of the living God, come and wash over our military communities and our military bases, God. Over our neighborhoods and our streets and our businesses. Lord, over our mayor and our county commissioners and our city council, over all of our churches, God, I pray for the river of the living God to come wash over us. Let the life of God come. For everywhere that the river flows, the life of God comes. Bring healing, bring restoration, bring deliverance, bring life, we pray in Jesus' name.
is there to say but to confess our faith in this triune God, this God of love. Because I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. Yes, I do. I believe wholeheartedly in your name. Come on, full of faith. Let's sing. children give you glory today. We give you honor. Oh, faithful God, fill us with awe and wonder of your greatness, of your majesty, of your beauty, of your might, of your endless power. Oh God, help us see you rightly. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Family, he is good. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is good. And he is faithful. And no matter what you're facing today, he will be faithful to you. If you can agree with that, say amen. We're going to go to a time of giving. There are four ways to give on the screen. And usually we give an exhortation, but today our exhortation is going to come through testimony. Um, me and seven, six ladies just returned about a week ago from a nation in Asia. And I, I'm not going to say the, the nation because we're live streaming, but in a country in Asia, if you want to know which one, you can come to me afterwards and I'll tell you. But it was an amazing, amazing week, 10 days that we had there. Thank you, church, for sending us. Just a short report. We got to be a part of dedicating a building within a village. We had to do a seven-hour drive, I guess is what you can call it. A seven-hour prayer journey of crying out to God for our lives. <laughs> 
cliffs on one end, landslides on another, cars coming. Yeah, God is good. He is faithful. He took care of us. But we took a seven-hour drive into the mountains where we got to uh, minister in a village to a church in a village, and we got to be a part of dedicating a safe house. Um, This is an area of the world uh, in the western part of this country where they still believe that when a, when a girl has her monthly period, that she gets sent into the woods. She is tossed out of the house. She has to fend for herself for however many days that she's having it. And a lot of times these girls are attacked by animals or attacked by men. Uh, they're very, very vulnerable. And so this ministry that we were working with has a heart to see homes raised up for these girls that they have a safe place to go. And not only a safe place to go, but so that when they're there, they can be learning skills. They get to learn how to sew and how to do different things things that can help um, them create economic opportunity. And so we got to be a part of one of these houses, the very first house in this area being dedicated. We got to sit amongst mayors, amongst chamber of commerce, amongst uh, government leaders, and be a part of speaking into the destiny of this place. And it was an amazing opportunity. After that, we got to minister in a church, um, a little small church where a lot of women from different villages came in. And we kind of became women's conference speakers for a few days. We were not anticipating that, but man, my team knows how to adapt, and we quickly became speakers, and we got to speak into empowering women, and calling out who God has called these women to be, and saying, you can do this. Yes, you can be amazing mothers, you can be amazing wives, but God also wants to use you in the church the way he used Junia, and the way he used Mary, and, and all these other women in the book of Romans, where we read about how they made an impact on the body of Christ, and so we got to encourage them to do this. We got to do this in about two or three, about three different churches. We got to do women's conferences and pray over women and encourage women. Um, As well as guys, we got to see three people come to the Lord, which in this country is a massive deal. This is kind of considered a closed country. It's not closed anymore. One of the really cool things, you guys, is that the body of Christ is expanding worldwide. I know things may sometimes not look great here, but around the world, God is doing amazing things. And he's doing amazing things here too. But the body of Christ is growing, it is expanding. We got to talk to so many church planters, so many pastors, so many leaders, got to encourage them in the work that they're doing. This isn't a nation that's been in the 1040 window that we have cried out for over 20 years that God would uh, move in these nations. About 20 years ago, guys, they were about 0.1% Christian. Today, they've got 5%. So they are growing and they are thriving and our church got to be a part. And what's really awesome is we didn't just give, but we had an opportunity to receive. And that's really what God wants. When we go globally, it's not just us going, bringing our agenda. It's a relationship. It's an exchange of life upon life. And so we had women who would come and our team got on our knees and they just cried out to God on behalf of us and the church here in the U.S. And so it was such a beautiful exchange But I'm sharing this with you because when we give, these are the types of things our money are going to. All right, our money doesn't just go to a building or to a staff or to the daily needs, although that is part of it. Guys, a good portion of our money goes towards what God is doing both locally in our city and globally around the world. So when you give, know that you're not just giving into something that's just going to stay here. You're going to something that's reaching the uttermost bounds of the earth, and it's making a difference. I want to also share with you a quick video. Some of you guys who were here in October saw it, but I want to show you again because today we're doing a special highlight on our what we're doing globally, specifically our work in Eswatini. And so we're going to take a moment. We're going to watch this video and come back and release our children. Go ahead and you may have a seat and let the Lord uh, inspire you with the work that he's doing around the world. 
Hey there, Midtown family. I'm coming to you from Nsagwini 2 in the nation of Eswatini, Africa. This is our care point. And what I mean by that is, seven years ago, God called our church, the people of our church, to come into a committed, long-term relationship with the community of Nsagwini 2 by sponsoring the children of this care point. When you choose to give monthly, you are actually not just benefiting one child or one family, you're benefiting an entire community where there are about 300 children and their families that all come to this care point every day of the week to get a meal. There is now a preschool that is teaching children, preparing them for primary education. There's basic first aid and medical care that is being given to all of them. There's also spiritual work that is being done. And in the past five years, we have now sent seven teams to this place. This week, our team has been ministering to so many kids, playing with them, seeing the goodness of God in their lives. We've also been ministering to the grandmothers of the community who hold this place together. We've been joining the work of God in their homes, visiting homesteads, praying with people in the community. And we've been beholding the glory of God by partnering with his faithful work and his faithful presence here in Ensaguini 2. So as you guys may or may not know, we already have a team that's going this summer to visit our kiddos here at Instagram 2. But for those of you guys who weren't here in October, I want to let you know we are actually now taking on another care point. We have had our care point with Instagram 2 for about six years, and we have had Instagram 1, same chief, two different villages. We've had it on our heart to take on that village since the beginning, and we finally have the opportunity to do it, which is so amazing, so exciting. So today, the way that you can be a part, there's three ways you can partner with us. Um, number one, if you want to sponsor a child, part of taking on a care point is $45 a month sponsoring a kiddo. This goes to the community as a whole, as well as it allows you to build a relationship with the child. Um, and we can teach you how to do that and how all that works. But we want to take on the kiddos of Instagram 1. There's about 57 kids to sponsor. So after service, come see us in the back by Fireside and we'll get you connected to a kiddo. As well as we do have openings for our fall trip. We have a trip that's going in September, and we're wanting a team big enough that that team can split up and go hang out with Instagram 1 kids and Instagram 2 kids. We're now getting to the place where we've got to send two teams, which is 
So cool. I dreamed of this day. Uh, and so that's another way you can be involved. And then the third way is with Inseguini 2. Hope I'm not confusing you. One, two, one, two. We'll make sense of it back in Fireside. But we are now pouring into investing into a project for a multi-purpose building. Everything they do, all their class, with the exception of the preschool, um, all their discipleship classes and their feedings and all of that, um, they're all done outside. And so we're wanting to help build a multi-purpose building where when the weather is not working or when it's too too hot or too cold, the kids can go into this building and still receive discipleship and the care that they need, as well as it gives us an expanded place for our teams to stay when we go. And so we're trying to raise money towards that. We've raised about 3000 so far. Our goal is 27000 So if you want to give towards that, come find us in Fireside, and we'll help you get connected to that project as well. All right, kiddos, let's stand up. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together over them. And then we'll be dismissed to the furthering of our service. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Family, we're going to shorten our connect time just a little bit. Let's just take one minute and say hello to the person next to us. And then we're going to continue on with the word. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? And it's good to be in the house of the Lord together with you. So appreciate your faithfulness, not only to attend, but more importantly, your faithfulness to engage with the work of the Lord, to press into his presence, and to press into life and community one with another. So uh, my heart is full today. My heart is full and my heart is thrilled at what the Lord is doing in this place. Uh, if you are here today with us for the very first time, I just want to welcome you. Uh, this is a, an incredible community of uh, faithful followers of Jesus, not perfect, but people who are endeavoring to be faithful to the Lord because he's been so good to us. And so we just want you to know that you are welcome here in this place. And should the Lord plant you and root you into this family, it's a good family to belong to. 
My wife and I have been here for 20 years in the same church, 20 years this August, and uh, it's an incredible delight to, to pastor you and to belong to what the Lord is doing in this place. Uh, while we were going back into that segment of worship, uh, I felt like the Lord dropped something uh, prophetic in my heart that I wanted to just release very quickly before we got into the teaching of the word. So Matthias, if you could help me here, I want to look at Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. Genesis 26, 18. I wanted just to release this and pray over anybody who this might apply to this morning before we jump into our series in the Gospel of John. Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. Without going too deep into the storyline here, I really want to just hit kind of what this verse is speaking to. Verse 18 says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. There's a whole series in that line alone, just in the nature of generational ministry and how at any moment of our lives in God, every single one of us are both sowing into the future and we are also reaping what previous generations have sown into us. Can I get a good hearty amen on that? Like anything and everything that you and I have in God is not something that you just procured by yourself. It's something that we graciously and openly and humbly receive from those who have gone ahead of us. I'm keenly aware of that, especially as we are celebrating one year of being into this building. There have been people that faithfully served God on these very grounds, and I'm an inheritor of that. I've inherited people's faithfulness. But that's not the point of this verse I want to get to. Look at the next phrase here. It says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped after Abraham died, which the Philistines had stopped up. You know, the purpose of a well is to contain good, clean, drinkable water. And every single one of you are a well. You are a well. And the thing that just hit me as Bonnie started moving prophetically, and this might apply to a number of things in your lives, is I, I had this sense that there are some of you that your well has been stopped up for whatever reason, life, busyness, offense, disappointment, betrayal, criticism, something that you hoped for that didn't pan out the way that you expected it to, someone that mishandled you in a position of authority. And now you find that once where life was flowing out of you, hope, ambition in a healthy sense of that word, dreaming with God, ministry, not just ministry when we think about ministry in terms of a church, but your ministry the ministry of creativity, the ministry of ingenuity, the ministry of administration and leadership, the ministry of communication, the ministry of writing, the ministry of crafting, whatever that thing is inside of you. Some of you are immaculate creators and creatives, and you have found that that well is not flowing like it once did. Some of you are, are amazing leaders. Some of you are teachers, and some of you in previous seasons of your life, uh, you had taught the principles and the truths of the word. And for whatever reason, you've found yourself pulling away from that. Some of you are amazing hosts. 
And I don't know if it's COVID or I don't know if it was something else, but the, your hosting muscles, uh, you've not been working your hosting muscles. Hosting people in your house or hosting people in third space places in the community and that muscle. And here's the thing. If we're not careful, water that used to be available for the people that are around us, when that gets stopped up, we can just become comfortable with that well being stopped up. And I just have this prodding from, I believe, the Holy Spirit this morning to pray over any of you who life or circumstance uh, or injustice has stopped up your well. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to stand this morning. I feel very burdened by this. I invite you to stand. There's no, yeah, come on, stand up. It could be, it could be physical. It could be chronic pain. Uh, it could be the loss of a loved one. And then before you know it, just something just stopped that up. It could be, man, the vigor and the vitality of life in God. I just, I don't find myself alive in God like I used to be. And that's been stopped up. So brothers and sisters, if you're near someone, if you know them, feel free to ask them if you can lay your hand on them. If you don't, maybe you just want to stretch forth your hand towards them. And we're going to do a little body ministry here for a moment. But Holy Spirit, I believe that you are faithful. And I believe that you are the one that is moving on our hearts this morning. This word came forth so clearly to me. That you want to reopen wells. Wells of gifts and anointings, wells of abilities and skills and talents and things that are easy, things that bring energy and life to your people. And some of us, Lord, we've not touched those things in months or even years. And Lord, I would ask today by your precious and powerful Holy Spirit to just reopen those wells. Reopen the wells of revelation Reopen the wells of prophetic anointing and grace. Reopen the well of hearing your voice and sharing and speaking your voice, God. Lord, I, I just I sense this right now. There's, there's, there's some couple or some couples that are in this room that have a specific call to marriages and healing marriages and speaking into marriages and mentoring and guiding marriages and that's been stopped up, and Lord, I pray that it would flow, that it would flow again. This city needs the water that you carry. The city that you're being sent to, the city that is being prepared for you, the people that are being prepared for you, they need the clarity and the purity of the water that is in your well. They need your gifting. They need your voice. And so today, Holy Spirit, would you just connect dots would you connect us to counselors and healers and to revelation? Lord, I just pray right now that the healing grace of God would touch my brothers and sisters. And God, that our wells would be opened up so that life could flow through us afresh and anew. And I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 10. We have just a few moments here, and I want to be as quick as possible, and I want to be as precise as possible, because in John 10, there is a lot of different places that we could go to, but there is a particular place that I felt like we're supposed to go to within John 10. So read along with me, if you would, beginning in verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, notice who Jesus is speaking to. He is speaking to a particular group of people. 
It's very easy when we read this to assume that he's speaking to his disciples. And a lot of us, when we read through these next few verses in John 10, a lot of us have heard or thought about John 10 through the lens of Jesus kind of giving a devotional Bible study about who he is as the good shepherd. But Jesus has an agenda. He is speaking specifically to the Pharisees. And he says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. In other words, anyone who is operating in a position of authority illegally, anyone who is assuming a measure of authority in people's lives. Now, in this particular context, he's referring to spiritual authority, but you can think about this in a multiplicity of contexts here. The principle here is that when you begin to exercise authority over someone's life, illegitimately, Jesus says, you are a thief and you are a robber. Verse two, the one who enters by the gate. The gate here, again, represents a vetted legitimacy. It represents being validated or being vetted. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Notice that the shepherd is not climbing in. He's not violating the boundaries. And he's also not kind of busting through with presumption or with some form of spiritual manipulation. This shepherd is waiting for a gatekeeper to open. He's not opening it himself. He is waiting for the entrance of the permission to come in and do what he or she does with their leadership and with their authority. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. A couple of things to notice here is you'll notice the intimacy or at least the familiarity of relationship. True shepherds, whether they be pastors, whether they be parents, whether they be teachers in classrooms, they care enough about the people that are entrusted to their care that they at least know their name. There is a familiarity. There is a uh, affinity. There is, an, there is a healthy affection. There is a care and a compassion that we see exercised within the shepherd towards the sheep that are given to his authority. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. Verse four. And when he has brought out all his own, I love this. He goes on ahead of them. Notice he doesn't drive them. He goes on ahead of them. Those of you who have read or studied or heard anything along the lines of the topic of leadership may have heard something in your journey to the effect of good leaders never do anything that never ask their people to do anything that they themselves are not willing to do. And this is what we see here in this good shepherd, that the good shepherd goes ahead of the sheep. Now, this is very significant because in the particular context that Jesus is speaking to, being a shepherd was actually a very dangerous occupation. The nation of Israel was surrounded by deserts. The desert was full of very dangerous animals, number one. And also the, the, the desert was a very harsh environment to belong to. Food was scarce, water was scarce, and there were enemies that were uh, abounded. And so when we see that the shepherd goes ahead of his sheep, 
what we discover is that the shepherd is willing to be the first person to take the brunt force of the elements and the threats that are around. A good leader doesn't drive people. A good leader leads people. A good leader is willing to allow whatever is necessary to happen within their own character formation to go ahead and to model the way for whatever he or she is asking for their people to do. Verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 6, we have clues here. Jesus used this figure of speech, but again here, the Pharisees did not understand. The Pharisees did not understand. So again, Jesus is speaking specifically to the Pharisees. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. A couple of weeks ago when we preached in John chapter 5, you may recall when Jesus heals this man who is an invalid for 38 years of his life. Now, I tried to get into the psyche and I tried to get into the emotional state and I tried to use my imagination to communicate as well as possible what it must be like to experience that level of chronic pain and disappointment for that measure of time. It's very difficult for me to imagine that. But here's what I want to call our attention to. Notice that when that man was healed, Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk. What did the Pharisees say to him? Did they say, oh my word, this is a bona fide miracle. How did this happen? Did they say that? Did they stop and say, let's celebrate and let's rejoice with God that you have been inflicted for 38 years of your life and now God has healed you? No, they didn't say that. In fact, the very thing they said was accusatory, condemning, and vindictive. They said, what are you doing doing this on the Sabbath? Interestingly enough, we find them having this exact same experience work out in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's been blind his entire life. And what do the Pharisees do? They don't rejoice. They attack. They don't affirm. They condemn. They don't They don't enter into the work of God. They question and they violate the work of God. So when we see these two stories back to back, now we have this understanding of why Jesus is saying the things that he's saying in John chapter 10. Jesus is going after the Pharisees. Some commentators, when they read this, there's this verse that we'll touch here in a moment where Jesus says, anyone who has come before me, the thieves and the robbers who have come before me, many commentators say, who are those thieves and robbers who have come before Jesus? And they say they must be false messiahs. There are other commentators, which I choose to side with, that say that the the previous people that have come before him are the Pharisees, that Jesus is speaking specifically to the poor and irresponsible And even we could say wicked leadership of the Pharisees here. Let's keep reading along. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate. I am the legitimate route. I am the, the authorized way to God. I am the gate for the sheep. All of you who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, again, whoever enters through me will be saved. And I love this. They will come in 
and they will go out and they will find pasture. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. Part of the assignment on your life is to go in to the safe field of God, to go in to the presence of God, to sit down at the banqueting table of God. I'm reminded of Psalm 23, that he makes a table for me right in the very presence of hostility, right in the very presence of allegations, right in the very presence of injustice, right in the very presence of oppressive ideologies and people. God will set a table right in the very middle of your business, your neighborhood, your school, and he will feed you with the goodness of his abundance. And you will go in and you will find pasture. And then he says this, and you will go out, right? God's idea of our destiny is not for us to go into pasture, find pasture, hide in pasture, lay down in pasture, and stay in pasture, that's not, his, that's not his design. His design is for us to come in through the revelation of who Jesus is, to experience the goodness and the abundance of God, and then for him to lead us back into the world to carry the reality and the revelation of that pasture to the world that's around us. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. A lot that we could say there, but that's not my assignment. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when the wolf or when danger or when any type of adversity comes, notice what the hired hand does. The hired hand leaves. I'm out. The hired hand is not ready to experience the conflict of confrontation. The hired hand doesn't have enough skin in the game. And so the hired hand leaves because the hired hand does not carry the affection for the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. And this is an important phrase. Because he cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, let's do some work here very quickly. Everything that Jesus is speaking of here finds its home in Old Testament context, in Old Testament scripture, in Old Testament understanding. The first, very for, first and foremost, is that God is a shepherd. So we're not going to take the time to break down and delve into Psalm 23, but most of us are familiar with Psalm 23. What you might not be familiar with is Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 78, verse 52. But he brought his people out like a flock, and he led them like sheep through the wilderness. This is speaking of, again, it's a metaphor, it's imagery here, of how the psalmist is speaking of the nature that God was operating in when he delivered his people out of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. He speaks of what God did as if God were a shepherd. There's another verse that speaks to that in Genesis 49. Moving into the prophets, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10 says it like this. He says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power 
and he rules with a mighty arm. His reward is with him. Look at verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. So when Jesus is using this shepherd metaphor, it's not just because he's trying to communicate something about himself. He's speaking to the greater culture of spiritual and religious leadership that is existing in that day. And he is speaking specifically to how leadership has gone off track. It's a, it's a confrontational message. He is confronting the poor and the irresponsible religious leadership of that day. And we'll find very clearly that they do not like this. They do not welcome this. They do not receive this. Something that was interesting that I had not known before is that this particular festival that Jesus was speaking at and during was the festival of Hanukkah. And the festival of Hanukkah was actually the time when the people of Israel, in their liturgy, Hanukkah was devoted to remembering righteous leadership versus unrighteous or irresponsible or poor leadership. And so there is this chapter that the Jewish synagogues would read over the course of Hanukkah. It's found in Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read a few verses in Ezekiel 34. We don't want to get too deep into it for the sake of time. But Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1, will really help us understand what Jesus is drawing on. And then we'll make some connections and some correlations, hopefully, to our life today. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Now, I might be wrong here, but when Jesus speaks about the thief and the robber and the hireling, he uses this phrase. He says that the hireling and the thief and the robber, they only take care of themselves because they care nothing for the sheep. We're going somewhere with this. That I have this against you. You only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? I want you to pause right here. Because if we're not careful, this would be very easy for us to minimize this to Jesus or to religious leaders. And what I'd like to propose to you today is that we expand this out and that we choose to believe and receive the fact that every single one of us sitting in this room is a shepherd to somebody. You are a shepherd. Moms, dads, obviously, you are a shepherd to your children. Grandparents, you are a shepherd to your grandchildren. Those of you who are business owners or those of you who are business leaders or those of you who lead classrooms, those of you who are principals, you are you are shepherds. Maybe you are not an official shepherd, but whatever location God has put you in in this city, by mere fact that he has planted you in the apartment or the townhome or the neighborhood that you are in, you are a form of a shepherd to that community. Those of you who volunteer in sports uh, teams, you are a shepherd. 
And so what I'd like for us to do for a moment is I'd like for us to just stop and recalibrate and stop listening to this solely through the lens of God speaking to Pastor Jade. Yeah, some of y'all, I know y'all guilty. I see it. Yeah, oh, now, now we, got, we got to think about you now. I should just read all of these verses all over again. Look at verse three. You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the choice animals, and here it is, this, this phrase again, and you do not take care, you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, you have not searched for the lost, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all of the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Several years ago, I don't know if my daughter remembers this, but she was very young at the time. We would take a family walk around our neighborhood in Amberley. And I'll never forget, we were at this particular park that was very, very close to ours. And uh, there was this young couple that was sitting out on the bench. And they were doing things that were very, very inappropriate, in my opinion, uh, as a gatekeeper of my, my neighborhood. And here I've got my five to six-year-old daughter who is sitting here playing at this park. And so I just walked up to this young couple and I just graciously, maybe it wasn't as gracious. I'd like to believe it was gracious. Uh, my daughter and my wife might have a different picture of the story, but I just essentially asked them to not participate in the particular behavior that they were doing. And uh, they never show, I never saw them up at the park again. Now, whatever we think of that story, here's, here's my take on it. Friends, you are shepherds. You are shepherds. If there's a park, if there's a neighborhood park that's near to you, if there's a place that you frequent, if there are people that are within your consistent purview, the Lord has stationed you to be shepherds in this city. You are a shepherd in this city. Say, I'm a shepherd in this city. Like, I, I, I need you to get that. Like, if we are ever going to destroy the sacred and secular divide that exists and has existed since the period of the Enlightenment, we have to hear these words as if Jesus is speaking to us. You are a shepherd of this city. You are a shepherd of this city. And, here's, and here is the violation that God is going after. That when we are more concerned about our convenience, and when we're more concerned about our comfort, and when we're more concerned about our advancement, then we are about the people that are within the field or the flock that God has assigned us to. See, now we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to expand this because some of us might say, well, I'm a great parent, and I believe you are. And some of us might say, well, I'm doing a really great job with my, with my class. And I, and I say yes and amen. But is it not possible that there are people that are even beyond the concentric scope, the concentric circles, that maybe you're doing a great job for those that are really, really close to you. But there, is it possible that there are other people that God has assigned to be in your flock 
that maybe we're just not aware of. Let me just make this really practical. Do you, do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know the names of your neighbors? I'm talking about not generically. I'm talking about the, the, the person that lives right next door to you, the person that lives right across the street from you. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know where they work? Do you know how long they've been in the city? Do you know what they're wrestling with right now? Uh, do you know if they're grieving anything? Do you know what hardship they're walking through? I believe that those people that are in close proximity to you, that they're, they're your flock. They're part of your flock. I have, been, I have been challenged. I have been convicted. And I feel like the Lord is speaking, honestly, because in the past two weeks, maybe three, I've had conversations with random people, and each of these people have told me about how they have made these intentional moves to know their neighbors and to invite their neighbors into their homes. I'm telling you, like literally four times in the past three weeks, block parties, uh, neighborhood meals. Now listen, this is not a condemning word. Some of us might be hearing this and saying, you don't know what's going on. Grace upon grace upon grace. I very simply want to humbly expand our imagination to wrestle with the thought that perhaps the people that God has planted you in and nearby are a part of the flock that God has called you to be a shepherd in their lives, to be a shepherd in their lives. And we don't have to make this more difficult than it is. There are a lot of practical and easy ways. I heard, in fact, I was at a Cause I Love You retreat this weekend, and one of our facilitators was sharing a story that whenever somebody new moves into the neighborhood, they bake them a homemade blueberry pie, and they bring them a bottle of wine. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if they're not wine drinkers, you can just send that all to my house, buddy. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Okay. But that's just a simple way. I've heard another friend of mine was telling me that uh, they've joined neighborhood watches. Neighborhood watches, which is one of the easiest points of connection and context for getting people of like mind and like heart together in your neighborhood. Why is that? Because whether or not someone's an atheist, an agnostic, a Muslim, a Buddhist, or a Christian, everybody wants their neighborhood to be safe. Nobody wants people breaking into their homes or breaking into their cars. In fact, this is so interesting. And again, I believe that the Lord is speaking right around the same time that I'm having these conversations. It's about two and a half weeks ago. I pull up into my driveway and my neighbor across the street from me, his name's Tony. He's wiping off his car. And so I rolled down the window. I was like, hey, yo, Tony. I was like, bro, are you like, are you like, you know what? He's an Italian guy. He's like a, he's like a movie character. He's amazing. I was like, man, are you, are you like hand washing your car? He says, man, listen to this. And he tells me this whole story about him going to a particular place to get his oil changed, and the gal has oil on her squeegee, and she's like, she's like washing his windows with oil. And so there's this film all over. But then from there, he proceeds to pull out his phone. He says, hey, man, check this out. He lives like directly across from me. He's got his ring camera. And he says, man, there is this gal who walked right up to my porch to take all of my Amazon boxes. And you can see her. You can, like, the whole thing is there. And right as she's about to go up, and it's the most sketchiest thing, man. She's looking around multiple times. And right as she's about to go up, there is another lady that just walks by with her dog, and it spooks the gal, and she runs off. But, man, listen, what an easy way to connect with your neighbors over something as simple as a neighborhood watch. It's an excuse. 
It's an excuse to connect with people on common ground. Listen, you don't have to have a prayer meeting with your neighbors or run a Bible study. Maybe it will get to that, right? Just find excuses. Oh, it's Halloween. Why don't you guys come over and we'll just, we'll we'll have a fire pit and we'll just have s'mores, right? It's Christmas. Let's have a charcuterie board and come sit around our table and let's get to know each other. There are statistics actually that are out there that say that if you just know the names and the numbers of the people that live in direct proximity to you, your mental health will increase, your sense of hope will increase, and the sense of safety within your community just by knowing names and knowing numbers. Guys, it's really simple. And so I know that like our typical perspective of reading John chapter 10 is Jesus knows my name. And I know his voice. Yes, and that is true. Or uh, the thief comes to steal and kill, but God, God has come to give me life and abundant. Yes, that is true. But there is this another angle here in John chapter 10, and that is that God is looking for good shepherds. And this is how God qualifies what a good shepherd is. I'm going to read this and we'll be done. In fact, whoever's helping me out here on the worship side of things, you can come on up. Uh, The end of this little segment here, John chapter 10, we're going to fast forward all the way to verse 14. I want you to hear the quality, I want you to hear the defining characteristic of godly leadership. Now I know there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, TED Talks abound on what the world defines as good leadership. But this is what God defines as good leadership. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And watch this. Here it is right here. Here is the qualifying characteristic of good Christian leadership, no matter what domain you're in. I lay down my life for the sheep. That is what God's standard for godly leadership is. Are you exploiting the sheep? Are you taking advantage of others? Are you more concerned with your own position, with your own advancement in the company? Are you more concerned with marketing and getting your name out there? Or are you laying your life down for the people that God has called you to be in relationship with? Are you caring more deeply about them and their growth and their advancement and their welfare and their well-being than your own? This, this is what God expects. And again, I just I want to drill this home. Beloved, you are shepherds to someone. And this is what God qualifies as a good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. I'm not a victim. I'm not a martyr. I lay my life down by my own complete agency and self-will because this is what the heart of God is. And I want to emulate the heart of God in the city that God has planted me in. Beloved, would you stand with me this morning? I hope and I trust and I pray that there was something here that was clear and that it 
was full of grace and yet full of truth. Here's the prophetic word for us for this year. God is calling us to know our neighbors. God is calling us to love our neighbors. God is calling us to shepherd the people that he has given to us. God is calling us to be friendly. God is calling us to care. God is calling us to reach out. God is calling us to host people at our table. That that is what the Lord is inviting us to do. I believe he's inviting the whole church to do that, but I just know for sure he's inviting us to do that here at Midtown. So, beloved, would you take a moment here and just interact with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to invite the ministers at the table to come forward. But whatever it is that God is highlighting to you, would you just take a moment to capture it, to notice it, to recognize it, and then in your own way, just respond to it? Maybe there's an idea that God is putting in your head. Maybe there's repentance that needs to take place. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's an action step that God is highlighting to you. Holy Spirit, we want to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. We thank you that you go ahead of us and that you lead us. You never condemn us, you never drive us. Lord, you are a Good Shepherd. Lord, it is our heart to model and to emulate the nature and the character of the good shepherd in our shepherding. And so, Lord, I pray right now, I want to pray a commissioning prayer on you. I want to pray the Lord commission you. Johnny, you're a shepherd, brother. Ray, you are a shepherd. Ann, you are a shepherd. Travis, you're a shepherd. Kevin, you are a shepherd. Sabrina, you are a shepherd. Alicia, you're a shepherd. Jason Pickerel, you're a shepherd, brother. Andrew, you're a shepherd. You're a shepherd. And you are called to care for someone in this city and to lay your life down for them so that they can experience life and they can experience it to the full. So may the Lord bless your leadership. May the Lord bless your influence. May the Lord bless your efforts. May the Lord anoint you to be a good shepherd to the people that he has called you to in Jesus' name. Beloved, I'd like to invite you to come to the table this morning. You can exit on the left. Come forward and receive the body and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for us, and we'll all take it together. You may come.
Man, you're a good bunch of looking shepherds. (laughs) On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And sitting with his closest friends and followers, he broke that bread. You can break this in your hand. It's a physical picture of Jesus' very body being broken. This is the manifestation of what it looks like to lay your life down. He laid his life down and his very body was broken so that we could receive life and that we could receive it to the full. Beloved, will you receive the life of God? And in like manner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. There is a new arrangement here. I'm going to shoulder the responsibility for your sin. I'm going to redeem you but I'm going to invite you into life. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to forgive you. But in so doing, I'm going to recruit you to be on my team to bring life to the world. So friends, as Jesus took the cup, we also receive the cup today. Let us receive. Amen. Let it be so. Amen. Let's sing a song of thanksgiving to the Lord today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts.
Beloved, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord make his face smile upon you. May the Lord lift up his beautiful, bright countenance upon you and may he crown you and your family with peace as we send you into the world as Christ was sent. Go now in the power of the Holy Spirit to make Christ known and to be his faithful presence in the earth. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Beloved, if we can pray for you in any way, we have ministers of prayer here. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. God bless.